Okay, so I have with me today um, Captain Emily Kovayas. She went to Regent University and joined the Army during it for us. There was a scholarship program, the HPSP. Mm -hmm. um, and so Emily, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself and tell us kind of about, about who you are and um, what got you interested in psychology? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for the introduction, Daniel. Nice to meet you over video, finally. Yeah. Uh, uh, like you said, I um, am now a captain in the U.S. Army um, in the internship portion of our program, um, so finishing out that fifth year. Uh, I started Regent at University back in 2016, um, but prior to that, in undergrad, I got very interested in working in different service um, roles in Baltimore City, where I did my undergrad at Loyola University. Uh, in those roles, I was working a lot with the veteran population, and a lot of those individuals uh, were experiencing difficulties with their mental health. Uh, so kind of in the very early years of my psychology degrees, um, I was very interested in working with the military. So I knew in order to work in a military capacity, either at a VA or active duty, I needed to have that higher uh, level of education. So in pursuing where I wanted to go even for graduate school, I was looking at military heavy populations. Um, and Virginia Beach is a, a pretty big military town there, uh, more so Navy, but lots of military folks um, across all branches are represented there. Mm -hmm. So when I started Regent, um, I definitely was looking for all of the experiences I could have with military, uh, whether that uh, practice sites or asking for those types of patients in our student-run clinic. Um, I was very much interested in learning more about that population. Um, and as you mentioned, I did the Health Professional Scholarship or HPSP uh, program. And uh, it was a great entry to get up to know a little bit more about what serving an activity capacity would be like. Mm. Uh, so got some exposure to different resources through that program. And it's kind of what led me to uh, my active duty roles finishing up the study degree. Okay. You said, what was the university you went to for undergrad? Uh, Loyola University, Maryland. Okay. Okay. There's a big, is that near Annapolis at all? Uh, I think it's about an hour away. It's in Baltimore. Okay. And is that, um, with, I, even with it being an hour away, is that kind of why you got some of the military population there? Uh, there's a pretty large VA in Baltimore City proper. Okay. Uh, and just being in larger cities, you're going to have some more exposure to uh, the homeless population um, and you know being in the Northeast um, there are people from all walks of life that kind of flock to their cities mm. um, but the capacities I was working with them um, those individuals were uh, at food shelters and assistance uh, for financial aid and education I just talked a couple of weeks ago with um, someone who's just finishing up their third year and he retired from the Navy and he said while he was in the Navy they went to a homeless shelter to do um, a comrail 
um, like a community service type of event. And it was a veteran homeless shelter. And then when he saw all of his fellow you know, service members now as veterans and, and homeless, that's kind of what got him started in the whole trail of psychology. Yeah, so that was kind yeah. of a, yeah. I think for me as well, I have a big uh, military family. I have aunts, cousins, uncles, grandparents that I've served. So um, even today, um, driving around San Antonio, which is where I'm, I'm located now, I see veterans holding up signs that say, you know, homeless veterans need assistance. So it hits a little bit differently when you have that personal connection. Yeah, yeah. What is it that, why did you decide for the Army instead of either the Navy or the Air Force? Uh, a couple of things went into that decision. Uh, I have a couple of aunts that served in the Army. Uh -huh. um, and extended family members that are also army. Um, so I wanted to follow in their footsteps a little bit. Uh, another thing characteristically about me is I like to do the hard thing. Uh, so people say, you know, why don't you join the Air Force? You can get paid the same and do the same job, but you don't have to do all of the ins and outs and more difficult things that the army has to offer. Um, but those are the things that I get excited about. I like being a soldier. I like doing PT. Um, cool. So those those kinds of things led me to do the army over other branches. Okay. And and when you had practica, so mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, you you had the one year scholarship. Yes. And so that helped you through your fourth year of school. Um, when you had your third or your fourth year practica sites, were you able to work with the military population or maybe at the VA in Hampton or anything like that? So in my third year, I had the practica site at Portsmouth Naval, um, so that's serving active duty Navy members. Um, so I was very fortunate to be able to engage specifically in a military treatment facility in that way. Uh -huh. um, COVID-19 hit halfway through that, so some of our care was um, pretty abruptly stopped in mm -hmm. about March of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so the third year I was able to do that. Even in my second year working at the clinic on campus, um, I was always advocating for trying to get military members on my caseload. So I was in a couples clinic uh, and I was exposed to several couples working uh, that were in the military. Uh, so that was very interesting. Uh, <laughs> lots of extra cultural layer, layers there. Um, yeah. But even I also worked at um, the psych hospital in Virginia Beach. Okay. And right. sometimes we would have active duty service members come through there. So oh, wow. in a lot of capacities, I was able to, to tap into that population. Mm -hmm. You, you did a rotation through VB Psych, is that what it was? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know they had, I didn't think that they would have active duty go through there. So it, with inpatient, it's a little different because it's a, based on availability of beds and needs. Um, so some service members would come through there if, for even just for a few days until beds would open up at the active duty sites. Mm, okay, well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, my wife, she just started there, uh, like two weeks ago. So she just got finished orientation. So, yeah. It's a great site. Um, Dr. Jensen, I believe was our supervisor and he's 
very good at teaching, educating. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of hours there too, which is great. <laughs> yeah, she was talking about he's really into the personality. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so then, so typically your fifth year, so during your fourth year, you would do all of your internship applications and your like, uh, what was that, cover letters and all these different, did you have to go through all of that? Yes, so uh, Region has a pretty high standard, uh, what I've noticed across the board for the internship application process. So being that I had the scholarship, I knew I was going to hopefully end up at an active duty site. Um, our program specifically requires us to apply to 15 different sites. So it's a lot to big expense, especially if you know you're trying to be a little bit more focused in the sites that you're looking at. Um, so for the Army, there are only four active duty sites. Okay. Uh, so I applied to those. I applied to some of the VAs. I tried to keep it a little bit more local so the cost of traveling and, and all that was cut down. Uh -huh. um, but I really focused my attention more specifically on the, the active duty Army sites. I know for other people that don't have the scholarship, they're able to apply to different branches uh, for the military. So okay. Air Force and Navy also have uh, internship programs. So if you aren't locked into the Army, um, you can, you're free to uh, look into those other programs. But uh, if I wasn't able to match to an active duty Army site, then I would have had to do a civilian internship and then roll into the army after that. Okay. And so did you end up getting the one of the armed active duty army sites? Yes. So I'm currently okay. at Brooke Army Medical Center at Fort Sam, San Antonio. Uh, it's the home of military medicine. So it's uh, a big source of pride for our mm -hmm. hospital. Uh, it's, it was my top site. Uh, I loved the culture there. Uh, I loved uh, the program director and, and just all of the staff and faculty there were very supportive, uh, very focused on, on caring for you and developing you as an individual. Um, and it was, it was a great fit. It's been a great fit for me. Um, and I'm really happy I was able to match there. Yeah, you got your top site. So do you, do you know um, Alexandra Lee now? But she might have been a year below you. Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, she, she got her top, her top site as well. So there mm -hmm. seems to be a recurring theme. <laughs> yeah, oh. a lot of people in our cohort got their top one or two. And I think oh. uh, at least our year, uh, a lot of people were very successful in the map and getting the places that they want. Um, of course, not everyone's gonna get exactly where they want, no. but- That uh, is encouraging though. Most of us did get our, our top, you know, one, two or three slots. So no. um, the program does do a good job in preparing you for being successful with your interview process and also with the training that you get. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've noticed that in my, my experiences. Yeah, and so, um, not that pay is a big deal, but usually on internship, you get a little bit of, of, of a pay, a payment, um, mm -hmm. if you're a civilian. Does, mm -hmm. does your military service start after internship or during internship? No, so um, before you even get to internship, you go to a direct commissioning course, at least with the Army. Um, so that's about a month long training where you're kind of 
exposed to some different military customs and courtesies, your influence into the active duty side of being in the military. Um, uniforms, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. We were in uniforms, we did a range day, we did um, a land navigation training. Wow. And more things, but which is, uh, we call it COVID DCC. So it was very much scaled back. We had to quarantine in our rooms and take a bunch of COVID tests wow. and that. We did online learning. So it was a little bit of a different experience. But that first day when you show up to military training, you're, you know, you put your hand up, you say the oath, you're, you're in uniform, um, you're serving the country. Okay, um, and it starts then. It starts then. Okay. So. You, you do acquire um, what we call a, an ADSO. So the military is technically training you for your internship year. And if you decide to do a residency or postdoc, uh, essentially anytime you're in training status, you acquire additional years from the contract that you sign. Um, so for me, because I'm in training this year and I'll roll into a postdoc type of um, position next year, it'll be two years of training. Um, and that kind of gets tacked on to the amount of time that I said I would be in the military for. Um, so you're, you're serving, you're, you're counting these years towards your 20 in service if you want to retire. Um, you're wearing a uniform to work every day, all that good stuff. Okay. What, um, well, for you, it would have been during your fourth year that you started. And then and then you're saying so in order for the scholarship for doing for doing a one-year scholarship how many years did you promise to serve minimum so when you sign the scholarship they kind of account that had so time in the time that you owe back to the military for that um our contracts have been a little bit um, unclear as to when that time gets to start being paid back. Um, okay. Sometimes before, my, right before my year, it was after your license and your time starts getting paid back. So if you got licensed real early, then you could start that time paying back sooner. Um, but for us, it's after you're done training. So after we are done postdoc is when our time to pay that back starts. Um, I think it's about five years total because I have the scholarship. Um, so that time, that time in service starts now. Um, yeah, I'm planning on doing the full 20. So full disclosure, I, I haven't really looked at all the fine print with that. Um, so that's my recollection. I know there's been some conversations among our cohort um, of people that have had the scholarship and how long do we actually have to be in the military for um, but a unique piece of contracts when you're an officer you don't sign you, you sign a day that says this is how long I'll be here for um, but as an officer you have to ask permission to leave uh, it's not like an enlisted service member that says my contract starts on the 21st of April we're done you know three years later on that same day as an officer the rules are a little bit different oh interesting yeah. And so um, from your own personal experience, you, you mentioned that you got your top site. How, is your, how has your internship year been? It's been wild. <laughs> uh, it's great. I 
regularly say, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to be here, happy to be at Brook Army Medical Center. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I feel very fulfilled in the roles that I'm able to do. I've been working towards this for nine years, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's been, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I think the faculty, like I said, they're really supportive, really great. You work with a lot of different supervisors. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities to get exposed to different experiences. Uh, on rotation, you're working with trainees, so students in AIT or advancing visual training, um, pretty new right out of basic due um, to the Army, but you're working across branches too. So Air okay. Force, Navy, uh, Coast Guard, Marines. We don't have any Space Force members yet, <laughs> the Guardians, but um, a lot of we see a lot of different people across branches so it's a big uh, learning curve to figure out what all the rules and regulations are how their commands work um but it, it's been a really good experience so far great training lots of um cdp training so we learned how to do like military specific trainings for pain uh, insomnia um, prolonged exposure and, and uh, cognitive processing therapy. Those have been the ones that we've had more formalized trainings on. So we're always, we're always in a training. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if they would, I, I heard from Dr. Rowan uh, specifically that the Air Force is CBT heavy. And I was wondering if the Army was also just CBT heavy, the rest is through CBT, or if they also incorporated them into like ACT and other yeah. forms, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah, they tend to, um, so the military likes evidence-based treatments. Mm -hmm. um, in his experience for him, for Dr. Rowan, it was a lot of CBT. Huh. Um, but as long as you're using research to fuel your clinical work, mm -hmm. uh, your presentation, your treatment, um, that's what, in my experience, has been widely accepted. Um, okay. With ACT kind of being that third wave, a little more ambiguous in how it's implemented. Yeah. Um, but I, I've had supervisors that lean more psychodynamic in their approach. Um, and I've had supervisors that are very CBT heavy. So it just kind of depends. Um, I feel like there is more flexibility than I thought going into mm -hmm. the military of what we're able to use, what we're able to implement. Uh, so I've really appreciated that. Good. When you said some of your supervisors lean psychodynamic, would that be like PLDP or ITP, that realm, like short term? Um, it's more in how they conceptualize the patient. Okay. Say. Uh, my current supervisor works a lot with in the psychodynamic and with the ACT realm. Mm. I was a little confused at how that works before I had the ACT training, and then I had the ACT training, and I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to be exposed to those different things. So there's not a specific type of, like, I'm not doing TLDP with patients, but just how we think about patients, uh -huh. and maybe some of the questions that we ask as well. Okay. You mentioned that you've enjoyed your role. Um, what kind of roles have you played during internship? Yeah, lots of roles. Uh, we wear we wear lots of hats. Um, so 
your first role actually when you join the military, when you join the army specifically, uh, is you're a soldier first. Okay. Uh, so again, that's one of the reasons why I joined. I love being a soldier. I love you know the physical components of things that we have to do. Um, I love the I get to work with soldiers. They're they're breed, um, and you know that cultural piece really plays a, an influence in your clinical work. Um, so, soldier, um, clinician, I've, you know, we do a lot of uh, assessment as okay. a clinician, um, whether that's formalized through testing for psychodiagnostic reasons. Um, and then also we do this other component unique to psychologists in the military is looking at fitness for duty. Um, we work closely with social workers and they also do some of those assessments too. Um, but assessment is kind of the, the key component of our role as psychologists. So we're always, we're always looking to see, you know, is this person fit for duty? Can they carry out their soldier tasks? Um, can they be deployed or not? And then if not, how do we help them um, get the care that they need, whether it's um, referring for like helping with physical um, ailments or if they need more intense behavioral health care or if they need behavioral health referral. Um, we're doing a lot of navigating that space. Um, we provide therapy and then we're also acting a lot of times as a consultant to commanders um, to say, you know, we have some concerns about this particular individual or they might call us and say, you know, I have some concerns about what's going on with this um, soldier. What can I do? Can I refer for an evaluation or what can I do to get them help? Um, and I've been very encouraged in my experiences of how open the commanders are with communicating with behavioral health, really okay. want to make that a priority for, for their soldiers. Um, and then the flexibility that they've had and allowing them to come to appointments too. Like, I've been really encouraged by that. Good, good. Yeah, I know one of the, one of the, um, I don't know, hesitancies that maybe an active duty service member might face when seeing a active duty psychologist is that everything they say is not as confidential as if it were mm -hmm. a civilian psychologist is that is that your is that right <laughs> <laughs> so confidentiality is um something i take very seriously uh, obviously as an ethical psychologist and uh -huh. training um and even after I'm done training, but um, it's something I spend a lot of time going over with my patients when I come into treatment. Uh, generally, the same principles apply when you're going to see a civilian provider, right? If you present a harm to yourself or others, if you report um, abuse to a child, elder person, someone that can't take care of themselves, mm. your records are to be subpoenaed by a court, right? The other layers to it are there other things that as a behavioral health provider or you know, other type of providers, you wanna make sure that your patients are being safe. So um, if there's reports of um, excessive alcohol or substance use, there's a specific clinic, um, and that's branch specific, um, to refer to that, that service member to so they can help with you know, detoxing or getting more education about the substance use. Um, if, um, if they don't show up for their appointments 
And that's across not just behavioral health, but any kind of medical appointment. If you don't show up to your appointments, it, it comes down through your command and your commands notify that you didn't show up to your appointment. Yeah. So piece of like, what is my supervisor? What are my commanders going to know? It really comes down to that accountability. Okay. Um, were you at your appointment or not? They don't have access to what your diagnosis is or um, like what they talk about in treatment. Hmm. If you're able to talk with your you know, command and say, like, I just have an appointment. Sometimes they don't even get information beyond that based on what you tell them. Okay. And how agreeable they are to that or not. Uh -huh. There are instances where the commander will refer um, somebody to behavioral health for an evaluation, or if they're trying to separate an enlisted member, for example, through a specific channel, and they want to make sure that they're clear from a behavioral health perspective to separate them for a couple of different reasons. So, in those instances, when a commander is referring somebody to treatment, that's when confidentiality is a little bit different, and that's also explained before the service member engages in that type of evaluation. Okay, so that's not that's encouraging. That's not that's kind of as, what I had in mind. And yeah. would you say that, um, let's say they bring up maybe a substance abuse problem, and you're going to refer them to the substance abuse center, whatever it might be, um, if they kind of it always looks better if you kind of self-refer yourself. If if you get a referral from your psychologist and you go, does that look better on you versus, you know, if you refer them and then they don't go, do you then have to intervene or? Yeah, so you're touching on a really good topic there. If you self-refer, obviously it's going to be better for you. Uh -huh. um, if, and this is just for my like very limited understanding, if um, they don't follow up with that care. It's a conversation in, in treatment, okay. and it might be more of a formalized uh, referral then. And at that point, command might be involved. Okay, that makes sense. If there needs to be more formalized referral. Yeah. And so, in what direction do you um, do you have kind of a specialized direction in mind where you're heading, or? Or you just want to be a generalist or kind of what are you thinking of? Yeah, for so long when people would ask me that question and at region or even in undergrad, what do you want to do? I'm gonna do military psychology, right? <laughs> yeah. You get to the military and they're like, what do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've really found that um, going through the regulations and understanding um, what is needed from our job. Hmm. In kind of being that person that's a liaison between behavioral health and working with commands, I, I really love that kind of aspect of our job. Okay. And then follow up with the assessing uh, fitness for duty. Oh. Our BA position. So we do internship and residency at one spot, then we do. Uh, two or three year BHO or behavioral health officer type of um, set of orders. And then we can apply while we're there to go do a fellowship to specialize, as we're saying. Um, there's a new one in the Army called assessment and selection, and that's working more with, again, from my understanding, and it is still new, um, that's working more with um, 
special groups and helping to assess um, if people are suited for those types of positions. So be working with uh, three-letter agencies or special forces and things like that. Cool, cool. So, so you're saying, let's see, if you want to specialize in that, and I know, I know it's a new thing, is that something that takes place after postdoc? Yes. Um, so the language kind of changes a little bit too when you're in the military, right? So it's, we call it behavioral health, not mental health, and that's a shift. And how we just decide where you are at in your training is a little bit different too. So our postdoc is our residency year, which is right after internship. It's great class. So like reapply for a postdoc, you can just stay on here your site which is okay so you get to stay at Brook Medical Center <laughs> mm -hmm. okay good yeah oh. um, and most of the sites do the same thing too if not all of them where you just stay on um, in some instances I guess you could try to do it at another like another medical center or forego it but that's more uncommon and not recommended mm. um, so then they you do your two years of training, you go through the behavioral health um, billet, and then you go ahead and if you want to you know, stay in and, and apply for a fellowship, there's one and two year fellowships. So there's trauma, there's child's assessment and selection, uh, neuropsychology, health psychology. I might be missing one or two more. That's but, um, still a pretty good range. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so, and so then you would apply. Uh, let me get this right. It's a two-year mm -hmm. training, for, like for if you did assessment selection, would be a two-year program. So that one, I think, is a two-year fellowship. So um, that would be at a different. I think they're putting it up in DC somewhere. Okay. Um, very, very formalized in DC somewhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, but. Uh, yeah, so that would be a two-year, you go back into training status, um, at that point, you're likely to be a major or up for a major, um, so you're sitting in training status doing, you're still working, um, but you're in training, and then you occur a little bit more of that as so time, so because they're training you, then you have to owe a little bit more time um, to that training as well, typically done after your behavioral health officer um, position. Wow, there's so many. That's one of the things. There's so many great training opportunities with the. Oh yeah. Yeah. Man, and and that would be. I think that would be really cool to be, um, especially like you said with special forces or something, and then people who sign up and then you do the assessment for them. Mm -hmm. um, does that? Does do you know you? That's so very new. But do you know would that also entail like uh, we give maybe like the MMPI or the IQ test or we do like a full battery. Do they have maybe specific testing? I'm not quite sure. Um, for my, again, limited experience on internship, yeah. and to give out like PAIs for personality. Okay. Because we have the scoring for that and the MMPI is more expensive. Um, okay. But uh, there's a whole bunch of different tests. Um, I don't know what that specific yeah. fellowship's going to use. Um, 
and it, it depends on the clinic too and the availability of resources. So I've had some clinics where we're using the MMPI or not. Um, same with AI. A lot of times it's a really good clinical interview. Um, and, you know, kind of learning from people that were in those positions before. These are the types of profiles that we're looking at. Yeah. Uh, the, the types of concerns that we don't think would be appropriate for this role. Um, but again, the, the fellowship in and of itself is new as far as the training component of it. Uh -huh. But there are psychologists and um, other professionals working in these capacities already. So just gaining access to them and, and kind of talking to them would be probably helpful for, for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, for anyone listening um, to kind of understand what that is a little bit more. And so for you personally, um, I, I, I remember coming into the program and um, before I even knew much about it, I didn't know assessment was a thing for us. And then I talked with a uh, first year recently and she said the same thing. And we talked about how the assessment courses were kind of, they were the most difficult, but also the most rewarding. I feel like we learned so much from each assessment course we took. Um, when you took maybe IQ or personality, did you love the assessment portions back then? And that, no, no, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh um, I might like out myself a little bit here, but at half the time I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, yeah. Classes um, came out on the other end of it a little bit more understanding of what was happening. Um, but for me, it really clicked. It the more you do it, and the more exposure you have to giving the tests and using them with patients it that's when it really starts to click for you and you can start seeing some of those patterns and it feels less daunting when you have examples from your own uh, clinical work to use so i i didn't um and you can i talk with my ta from those classes and she's like yeah you were not i was bad at them but she's like you having a good time you didn't like those classes um but I think for me, it really clicked when I could see like the clinical utility of it. Um, okay. And I wasn't just in class writing reports on reports on reports. Yeah. Um, yeah. And once you're, once you're on the program too, you have different supervisors um, that have different approaches to working with the assessments too. Not to say that it's not standardized because it should be and needs to be standardized, but how you how you write it up and how you approach using the data can be better explained by other people um, that you encounter. Yeah, well, that's encouraging for, for anyone who is <laughs> listening and they hated assessment courses. You might end up loving it one day, right? Yes, yeah. and there's all kinds of assessments. You're exposed to such a, you're exposed to a good amount at LinkedIn, but I think, um, as you're exposed to different ones in different settings, you'll kind of figure out which ones you get the data that you want to have and use that data and it'll click more for you. But I think, yeah, the more, the more that you're exposed to it, the better you'll feel using it, the more comfortable you'll be giving it and get better buy-in from being yeah. with that. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I also, it seems that through throughout this, you know, Regent 
region's main setup is it's a five-year program, fifth year's internship. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people I talk with, they have, it's, it's a very difficult program. It's um, very stressful. Um, there's, you know, you, yeah. So for you, um, did you find it being a very stressful program and was it hard to deal with it? Or did you find things that helped you cope with it or what worked for you or what was your experience like? Uh, let's see. So my experience, I think was unique in some aspects to my cohort. And then I think our cohort's experience was unique. Uh, so I worked full time throughout my entire time at Regent. Um, wow. That wasn't something that was encouraged. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> to support myself, I worked over at the Founders Inn, um, which is a hotel uh, restaurant on, on campus. So they're, they're good. Once I got a good boss, um, they're <laughs> flexible with my schedule. So I worked a lot of nights and weekends. Mm. Um, but that was, it was a lot. Um, but having that uh, community outside of Regent was really helpful to me. Uh, mm. Having that didn't talk psychology all the time. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that my cohort didn't absolutely 100% get me through that program. Um, I think finding your people has been, is something that is, to make or break for a lot of people. Uh, it was for me. Um, and as you go throughout the program, sometimes those people change. It might change on who you're on practice to go with. Um, and you, when you get into the third and fourth year classes, you're not all in the same classes. You might be taking one or two that are a little bit different. Um, so for me, really finding those people that I could work on my dissertation with or um, study for comps with, or I uh, picked up rock climbing in my between my second and third year. Oh, cool. Um, so that was a really big coping skill for me. Um, I was if if I had a few hours, I would go out for runs. Uh, First Landing State Park was my let's get away from mm. any kind of technology screens, people talking at me, uh, talking with me, and just. Kind of getting out in nature that was a really big coping skill for me mm -hmm. um, so i think uh those types of things aligned really well with my values of you know staying physically fit um being outside and appreciating the things that are around i mean i would get off work at bb psych and go for a run on the beach it's like six minutes away it was, it was <laughs> so i think really just capitalizing on the things for that were around us is really important yeah yeah good good um yeah very wide range uh i've i've had you're the first person i've talked with that has been able to maintain a full-time job throughout this program so mm -hmm. it's very um not easy yeah. <laughs> and sleep <laughs> um are there any, or have you read any books on military psychology? Uh, so we were tasked recently with looking up leadership, uh, military leadership, and uh, how to kind of navigate those spaces because leadership's a big piece of hmm. the military officership. So I'm going to be reading a book about uh, it's David Goggins, 
Some would argue that he's a good military leader, not a leader, or a bad one. So I'm going to figure out uh, okay. <laughs> my own opinions about that, but I think he's motivational. Um, but did I read anything specific? Books? No. Lots of articles, though. My description was on active duty military psychology. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I looked at sex differences between um, men and women uh, who are receiving Nebra health care um, while on active duty in the Air Force. And I looked at uh, initial symptom distress, treatment completion, and career impacts. Hmm. Is there any differences between men and women? Um, what was your main what was your main takeaway your finding uh, so men and women were coming to care around the same levels of distress finishing around the same levels or like dropping out of care as well and then we had a finding that was almost significant it was like 0.054 <laughs> oh. I was like no <laughs> um, but in that it was um, men were significant, almost significantly more um, likely to get a career impacting recommendation than women. Mm. So I wonder what that's due to. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be a lot of things. Yeah. Their roles in the military, how they're perceived. That's um, interesting though that that they both present the behavioral health around the same level of distress that you, uh, I would think typically men would be more, they would wait longer, right? Mm -hmm. so that's cool, that's good. The Air Force is doing something right. Yeah, I, I dug, dug into a lot of the research about, you know, what is the military as, as a whole doing to address the stigma that you were home. So um, they're doing a lot. Um, and I, I would say even my experiences in my clinical practice, most of my case were males good no all right um i think that's it unless you have you have anything you want to add or say sure um i well i appreciate you reaching out and and wanting to connect and pick my brain about these things um for the the regent family out there right um it's a hard program. I really do believe it trains you well to be good ethical uh, psychologists. Um, the days are long, <laughs> the years are long, um, but once you get out there, um, from my experience and people that I've also been talking with in my cohort, other cohorts, uh, everyone has kind of come back with the same conclusion that although Regent was really hard, they trained really well. Mm, good. Um, and along that same vein of the program is hard, take those moments to celebrate those things. Celebrate when you get your master's because it's highly booked. Um, celebrate when you uh, finish classes or pass a really hard probe. Um, take those to connect with each other and take pictures of those things too so you can remember yeah. the things that happen. Yeah. Um, and then to anyone that's you know kind of looking towards doing a military psychology career, um, it's really important to get to know what you're getting yourself into. So feel free um, if anyone wants to reach out to me, um, you can give them my contact information. Um, like just talk to people who are in those roles and get to know a little bit more about the different branches if you're interested in that. 
Um, there's a lot out there, a lot of really great training opportunities, but when you do join the military, it's, um, it's bigger than you think. The role of being an active duty uh, psychologist uh, holds a lot more responsibility than a civilian counterpart might. Um, so it can be heavy, it can be um, a lot of pressure at times, but for me, it's really been worth it. Good. That's good to hear. Um, and yeah, it's been very extremely informative talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, well, I did think of one last, one last thing. Oh, I really appreciate you too talking about celebrating the small moments. We, we <laughs> joked about having a commencement ceremony for our masters. Yes. <laughs> um, but with, with all of that, if you could go back, looking back on your, your, your coming out on the other side of this whole program mm -hmm. um would you change anything that you did or are you you know working full-time um everything that you did would you keep it kind of the same i mean it worked for you really well so i did yeah. <laughs> um yeah would i do anything different i probably would have taken more time to celebrate things um and, and that's kind of why i was i was saying that there yeah moments that you know it's just like okay i gotta get through this day i gotta get through this class gotta get through and you know there are going to be things like that i think when you have that mentality going in day in and day out for years it, it's a lot um i mean like take a vacation i i couldn't go home for a lot of holidays because of the nature of my work we had to work these um but taking those times to i think celebrate your accomplishments, but also celebrate with those people that you really care about. Yeah. Um, I think I would do that part of it differently. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Good. I would have slept more too, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate you meeting with me, and um, yeah, I wish you the best you. of luck and and your your postdoc and everything to come. Your military <laughs> Thank <you>. career. <laughs> I appreciate it too. Um, feel free to reach out anytime and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>